This special edition of Downtown Sports is being brought to you ad-free by Digital Market Battles, the marketing agency that helps your business fill their pipeline with high-valued leads. They will meet your conversion goal no matter what. Just head on over to digitalmarketbattles.com or call 1-800-811-4095 to schedule a discovery call today. I am the mouth of the South, John Schiavone, along with my co-host, the beast of the East, Jonathan Periente. This is Downtown Sports. This is where sports come home. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a big-time guest. Beast is going to take it from here and let you know who it is. Joining us here today, as we now are diving into the start of the NFL season, the Brooklyn Nets have basically still in the middle of their offseason following the NBA draft, some trades that have been made. We are pleased to welcome with us to really discuss the Nets and the New York Jets and the rest of the NFL season coming up is the great television voice for the Brooklyn Nets on the Yes Network. You can see him on CBS for NFL Sunday football, and you can hear him for the Jets games. He just called the three preseason games before the regular season began for the Jets. He is the Birdman. The legendary Ian Eagle joins us on Downtown Sports. Ian, thank you for taking some time to join us. It's been a little while. How are you doing? Yeah, doing great. Jonathan, John, always nice to be on with you. And obviously, uh, this is a busy time with the NFL about to get going. And the NBA is out there. You know that it's just around the corner. So this is a, a fun time of year. Absolutely. Let's dive in first with the NBA. We'll begin with the Brooklyn Nets. and. They've had a very uh, long period of time now during this offseason to kind of think about what has happened to them from the conference semifinals. Uh, they fell in seven games to the Milwaukee Bucks. And what were some things from what you saw in that series with Brooklyn that maybe could be taken away? What, what really hurt the Nets in that series going up against a team like Milwaukee? Health. It's pretty simple. Uh, obviously, Kevin Durant is a toenail away from winning the game in regulation, winning the series, advancing to the conference finals, ultimately would have played the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, who knows how NBA history is affected? There is this domino effect that comes into play. Giannis Adetokounmpo, if they lose in the conference semifinals, he is thought of in a completely different light, someone who has underachieved. Mike Budenholzer probably gets fired as the head coach of the Bucks If the Nets advance, uh, do they have enough with a healthy Durant, but a James Harden, who's a shell of himself playing in the conference finals, Kyrie Irving, I'm not even convinced would have come back. That's how severe the ankle injury was. Do they get it done against the Hawks? If they do, how do they play against Phoenix? Does Chris Paul get his first championship? Are we viewing this differently? So uh, as far as looking back on it, it, it's an incomplete grade because the team I just couldn't quite get to the finish line whole. And that certainly played a big role in the way NBA history is going to be viewed. But from the Nets perspective, I think a lot of it is stay the course, have the big three, find the right pieces around them. Clearly depth is going to play a role in this league at this level. You got to have people that you can rely upon and their hope is that their supporting cast is going to be good enough to, to make a legitimate run and win an NBA championship. 
Well, I'm here taking a look at what the Nets have done so far in the offseason, and everything looks like shoring up the main roster, making sure the big three have people. Patty Mills, a perfect example. Yep. Resigning Blake Griffin, getting Javon Carter from the Suns, signing James Johnson, a whole bunch of different moves. Do you think that this would shore them up to a point where if we lose two of the big three and it's only Durant, do they now have enough to go for a championship, even if it's just one of the big three? Or how much more do you think they need to do? Well, what I take away from all the moves that you just detailed is the word toughness. They address that part of it between Mills and Carter and Johnson. Uh, three guys that have been known in their career for being tough, gritty competitors. We've seen a little bit more of Johnson. Obviously, Mills has been around the block. Carter, still a young player, but fits in to what they're trying to do. They had Mike James in that role. They had uh, Chris Chioza in that role. And they believe that they made a defensive upgrade in, in that position. If there is an area that is still one that they'd like to possibly address and sure up is another big, uh, another rebounder, rugged, maybe someone who can shoot from the outside at that position. I think that's why Paul Millsap's name has come up in conversation, but he might be too rich for their blood. There might be a team out there, Chicago, as an example, that might be willing to pay him the biannual exemption and the Nets can't pay those kind of prices right now. They lost Jeff Green, so they lost some of that skill set. They think getting Blake Griffin in a full training camp and on their program and monitoring his minutes throughout the year, they're going to get more out of him consistently. Are they done? I don't think so. I, I think uh, there's still a move or two left. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's somebody that would be considered a four or five that is a versatile piece that they look to add, if possible, before training camp hits. Definitely. Talking with Ian Eagle, the television voice for the Brooklyn Nets on the Yes Network and the television voice for NFL football on CBS. And let's dive into the NFL, the New York Jets, three preseason games. Uh, you've gotten a firsthand look now mm -hmm. at the new Jet regime, Robert Sala, Zach Wilson, the new receiving core, the Mike LaFleur. What has impressed you about what you've seen from so far from this new Jets team that you've seen in the preseason? culture, which is very hard to, to put your finger on because we're not that privy to it. We don't know the mood and the vibe around the facility. I got a little glimpse into it. I attended a walkthrough, met with players, met with Sala in person. That was the first time I had met with an NFL player or coach since December of 2019, physically oh, wow. met with wow. them. Wow. We went through an entire football season 2020 with everything on Zoom. And it looks like this year we're angling towards meeting with teams, but some teams still may have reservations. So it might be an amalgam of Zoom and in-person meetings. But you could just tell there was a completely different feeling inside that structure and that speaks to a number of things. One, uh, it was not pretty at the end with Adam Gase and with the uncertainty of the team and the roster and whether Sam Darnold was going to be a part of this thing or not. 
now that they've answered those questions, new head coach, new starting quarterback, there just is a newfound hope. And that happens with every organization when you make those kind of sweeping changes. You feel good about it because the mystery is still there, but the optimism is a part of the equation. I can tell you firsthand, uh, Robert Sala is really impressive. And he lives up to the billing as a people person, as someone that can connect with his players and lead his coaching staff. You just can feel a different energy in that building. How does it translate onto the field? That remains to be seen. Offensive line, still question marks. Secondary, specifically at the cornerback position, extremely young extremely inexperienced. They're going to take their lumps. They go against a high-level quarterback and a top-flight offensive coordinator. It's going to be a problem. I think Salah deep down knows it. They can scheme, and you'll see a lot of Tampa too. You'll see trying to cover up for that. But the fact is the loss of Carl Lawson was immense. And takes a big bite of their pass rush, which now they're going to have to generate in in new ways. And of course, the question is going to be about the quarterback and whether or not he can be an impact player right away. Well, I guess from what you've seen of Zach Wilson in comparison to a Sam Darnold, like, like let's grade him on the Sam Darnold scale, right? Do we have something better than what we've had before or do you think Zach Wilson just fits the floor system better? I mean, we've heard from people all around the league that are very, very impressed with Zach Wilson. Yeah. What's your take on him? My take in comparing the two and obviously Zach Wilson, uh, eventually the comparisons will mean nothing in regards to Darnold and Wilson, but short term they're there because that was the decision that the team made to move on from Sam Darnold. So my comparison right now is, Arm talent, there's not much of comparison. It's very effortless for Zach Wilson. You can tell the second he drops back. Leadership, there's a certain confidence with Zach, and there's a conviction in how he carries himself that's a little different than Sam. Sam had a bit of that surfer dude attitude, which worked for him. But I don't know how it translated leading the offense and establishing yourself as the leader. I do think Sam deferred quite a bit. Zach doesn't strike me as that type. He does respect, but he's pretty direct in what he wants, what he expects from others, how he's going to go about his business. So if you start checking boxes comparatively, I can see why they really fell in love with Zach Wilson during the draft preparation process. And I can also understand why they decided to move on from Sam Darnold. Once they realized hey, you're going to have a top two pick, everyone thought it was going to be number one. They assumed Trevor Lawrence. It was over. Well, it didn't work out that way. Adam Gase and company won won too many games uh, when it was uh, the smoke cleared. (laughs) So they did their due diligence. They believe in this QB. And once you have decided that there was someone in this quarterback class beyond Trevor Lawrence that you believed in, 
then it was just a matter of time that Sam Darnold was not going to be a part of it. And, and as we know, Sam had no connection to this GM. Joe Douglas didn't take him. No connection to this coaching staff. Nobody on this coaching staff had dealt with him. So in essence, it was a pretty easy break for the Jets. They didn't feel invested like others might have. If it was a previous regime that had stayed on, if it was a coaching staff that had stayed on, they would have wanted to wait it out Mm -hmm. and shown patience. I think the Jets made the call once they realized that Zach Wilson was their guy uh, there was no other option at that point. What you've seen in the difference between Sala and Gase, if there was any difference you've seen in these two coaches to how they get their team prepared. Yeah. You know, I think probably positivity more than anything else. Robert is rah, rah. It doesn't mean he's not hard on his guys, but I think he's constantly looking for the positive to preach to his team. Adam probably slanted a bit more towards the negative. Adam's a really smart guy. You've had a chance to talk to him many times through the years, obviously when he was the head coach of the Dolphins, but even previous uh, iterations of his career as an offensive coordinator in Chicago and Denver. And I always was impressed by his football intellect I think Robert's people skills are off the charts. And in this current NFL, it's not to say that uh, what Adam brought to the table couldn't have worked. It could have. But once it went south, the guys tuned out. And I think with Salah, he's never going to lose that part of it with his players. They'll believe in him. They'll believe in him as a person, as a leader, And as a coach, now the clock starts. As we know, it doesn't matter if you're a great interview. It doesn't matter if you have the respect of your players and your owner. You do have to win eventually. And it's the case in every market. doesn't matter. Right now, Cincinnati, Zach Taylor, who people are high on and believe that he's doing all the right things. At some point, he will have to win. Just how it is. Gus Bradley was loved, loved as a head coach in Jacksonville. His players loved him. The media loved him. The ownership group loved him. The GM loved him. Eventually, you have to win. Yep. It's just how it works. And I think Robert understands that. First year, most of it will be a honeymoon. And then year two, more will be expected. Mm-hmm. And year three is that pivotal year. Even with the Giants and Joe Judge. Yeah. I think he's garnered a lot of respect. I think people are impressed with his regimen and how he coaches and what he expects of his guys. But you do get judged on your wins and losses. So eventually, as we know, they don't keep score for nothing. There's a reason at the end of the games they pronounce a winner and a loser. Uh, this is how it works. This is part of the business, and Sala is well aware of that. Talking with Ian Eagle, he is the voice of the NFL on CBS. I want to address the one thing that the Jets seem to always need to have work in order to win, and it's been one of their biggest weaknesses throughout the throughout the past couple mm-hmm. of years. It's the offensive line. Yep. There is no way that Zach Wilson can succeed 
if the offensive line plays the way they did last season and the season before. Have the 100%. Jets have the Jets fixed it? Have the Jets uh, done enough to maybe scheme better? Maybe different blocking packages? Are they using their players more effectively? Has there been a change in the O line? According to them, yes. But what would you expect them to say when questioned about it? Robert Sala said, "I think we're going to be better than than people are giving them credit for right now." Makai Becton's in year two. It's been a little bit of a roller coaster ride in training camp and some concerns popped up, but his year one was excellent. Despite the fact that the offensive line wasn't very good, he graded out well. They addressed that left side with Vera Tucker. They liked him enough to move up to get him, to make sure that he was going to be a part of this team. They believe he will be a staple at that position going out and uh, addressing the right side of the line. They now have some options there, which was not the case. They were so thin last season. And look, uh, Lewis retired. That came out of nowhere. He was going to be part of that depth. So they have to deal with that. They feel like they're in a position to be better in that spot. We know how it works. The proof is in the pudding. You got a young quarterback, and no matter how confident he is, no matter how decisive he is, no matter how much arm talent he has and different arm angles that he can bring, because he can bring that too. You know, I see a little bit of Matthew Stafford in the way that he can sidearm it if necessary, he can create on the move. But if you don't have an offensive line, you don't win in this league. And we're asking similar questions of the New York Giants as well. Uh, this is not just a New York Jet issue. Mm -hmm. It's still an area of concern for the Giants. They've got ability and talent littered around this roster. But if that offensive line doesn't hold up, the mistakes that we've seen Daniel Jones make will compound. And we talk about this evolution for a QB. Jones has shown flashes, no doubt about it. There are moments where you say, wow, he's the goods. And there are moments where you question whether or not he can be a franchise quarterback. And some of that might be offensive line base. Some of it might be shooting himself in the foot mm -hmm. at times. We're going to find out this year. Uh, this is year three. Mm -hmm. And in year three, you no longer get the benefit of the doubt. Uh, you, you have to go produce. And if not... Yeah. There will be people that lose their jobs with the New York Giants if it he doesn't stopped, change. He stopped getting the benefit of the doubt with me when he missed in that game in Tampa. Wide open routes where people were literally running down the field unchallenged and he's throwing mid-range mid -range passes. That's when Jones lost it with me. So let's dive in now with the Jets in their first game of the year. And how ironic it's going to be against Carolina, against the very quarterback, that Zach Wilson just replaced. And now Sam Darnold is going to be under a whole new system with Matt Rule. He's going to have some weapons at his disposal with Christian McCaffrey. They yep. re-signed Robbie Anderson. Looking at this matchup, could this define Wilson or Darnold, this, this week one matchup, just to kick off the year? No, I, I don't think it's going to have the impact that – you might build up in the narrative. There'll be a lot of anticipation, but 
Sam Darnold wouldn't surprise me if he has a great game against the Jets. It wouldn't. It doesn't necessarily mean he's going to have a great season for Carolina. There's a lot of personal stuff there for Sam. For Zach, it doesn't matter who the opponent is. The fact that it's Sam Darnold is really irrelevant to him. It's going to be about live bullets and someone scheming against you. We know how it works in the preseason. Often we overreact one way or the other, sometimes too positive and sometimes too negative in preseason games in the NFL. There's such a stark difference between preseason and regular season. They just go full on vanilla offense, defense, keep it simple. Don't give anybody a a taste of what it is you're planning on doing once the regular season gets underway. So with Zach, I've got to believe that Mike LaFleur has some things up his sleeve to protect the young quarterback, to get him going. If it's a bunch of checkdowns early, maybe, but I wouldn't be shocked if they've got something in their repertoire Mm. to try to air it out and show off some of that arm talent and open with a bang. For Sam, you'd like to say, oh, he's familiar with the Jets. No, he isn't. It's like a whole new team. There's there's a bunch of guys that he will know. There's a bunch of guys that will be in a Jets uniform that he's never met before. Uh, So, yes, he's going against the organization. He's going against the uniform, the individual players, not so much. Though we did see James Morgan got signed to the practice squad, backup quarterback for the Jets of Carolina. So we still know gamesmanship is alive and well in the NFL. If they can get some information from James, even if it's small doses of what makes Zach Wilson tick or what the concepts are offensively, that could be enough for Matt Rule and company to feel like they have a little bit of an advantage in week one. Talking with Ian Eagle, voice of the NFL on CBS. And, you know, I want to bring up the rest of the class. I want to bring up Mac Jones. I want to bring up Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance, Justin Fields. Out of those quarterbacks, out of everything that we've seen so far, who do you think has been the most impressive? I mean, shocking that Mac Jones is actually going to end up starting for the New England Patriots when everybody was calling Cam Newton. Yep. Um, Trey Lance seems to be backing up Garoppolo. Fields seems to be backing up Andy Dalton, even though nobody understands why. Tell me what you think about this entire class and how it's panning out so far. Again, we're making preseason assessments, so we've got to we got to catch ourselves and not going too far one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Mac Jones has looked the most NFL ready. There's no doubt about it. If you put the tape on and you didn't know what year the quarterback was in, and there was no name, there was no uniform number, there was no uniform colors or insignia. It was just a bunch of guys in the same color uniform. And you just had to assess them for what they are. He's the one that looked the most ready, the most comfortable, the most under control. It doesn't necessarily mean he's going to have the best season or the best career, but he's certainly going to get the best opportunity because the Patriots still have a level, a standard that they expect to meet. And that defense will produce, although the Gilmore thing is is a bit concerning. I think 
he'll take his lumps like all other rookie quarterbacks do. My first game for CBS was 1998. September of 98, I had Miami at Indianapolis. And it happened to be the first game for Peyton Manning in his NFL career. And it was my first game at CBS. And we go into the broadcast. We do our meetings. I meet Peyton. First interview that I did in a production meeting was with Peyton Manning. And he comes in. He knows my name. He answers every question eloquently with detailed information, giving me things I could use on the air. And I walk out of that meeting thinking, this guy's going to be a superstar, not just on the field, but off the field. But little did I know he would have more endorsements than any athlete in the country at one point. Yeah. But what happened that year? They went three and 13. That first game, he threw a couple of picks, including one that basically ended the game. Indy was still alive. That was Dan Marino's last year in the NFL, 1998. And we had this great reaction shot of Archie Manning putting his hands over his, his head when Peyton threw the pick. Eli was there. Eli was a kid. So you build it up in your brain. Ryan Leaf got off to a pretty good start, if you remember. He, he wasn't great individually, but the team won a couple games early. So that first four games of Manning's career and Ryan Leaf's career, the reaction, if I remember it correctly, around the NFL was, wow, Leaf looks like he belongs. And Peyton, it's taken a little longer. And we know what happened. Peyton, that next year, took off. They went 13-3. and He started looking like the QB we thought he was going to be. And by the way, he had flashes in his rookie year where you saw it. So even with this class... John, as as you mentioned, we're going to see certain guys that stand out early that may not stand the test of time and then vice versa, guys that may not get the opportunity right away. I think Fields will be in there early enough at some point if if it goes the way that we think it will. Uh, the Andy Dalton Chicago Bears led offense is not going to be dynamic by any stretch. And eventually they're going to have to make the move, but they have their reasons and they're privy to all of the practices, all of the joint sessions that they did. I don't know what their thought process is. Clearly they have a plan in mind and their plan includes Andy Dalton to start the year and fields to eventually get the job. I think back to the chargers last year, guys, we remember what it was. It was Tyrod Taylor. And if not for Tyrod, Having, I believe it was his appendix. I'm not, I can't recall exactly what it was. I think he got a shot and it hit him wrong and he had to go to the hospital. And Justin Herbert gets the start in that game against Kansas City, if memory serves. The punctured lung, the Tyrod. Punctured lung, punctured lung. Yeah. And Justin Herbert never gave the, the, the job up again. Yeah. Because he was. 4,300 yards later. Clearly the guy. And. If you were going to ask me, is there a team out there this season that I would consider under the radar potential surprise, it would be the Chargers because of Herbert. And I think their offense has a chance to be very good and balanced. And I believe their defense will be better. And this guy was flat out awesome. I would be shocked if there's a sophomore jinx there. But he didn't start week one. 
they had a plan. And guess what? The plan blew up because of a mistake made by a team doctor. Talking with Ian Eagle, the television voice for the Brooklyn Nets on the Yes Network, the voice for NFL football on CBS. Let's go around for all broadcasters now. How is access going to be for broadcasters this coming NFL season? Are you guys going to be able to be in the broadcast booth? Is it going to be working remotely like from last year? Are we going to expect some changes for this coming season in this stage of the COVID pandemic? Last year, we did travel. So we were in the booth last year for the NFL. NBA, we did not. And that was a remote broadcast. College basketball, it was a little of each. I went to a few games in person, did the NCAA tournament in person, did a bunch of games from a studio in Clifton, New Jersey. So the way things are set up right now in the NFL, we'll be there. Our production team will be there. The anticipation, this is all very fluid. We recognize that it could change at any moment, but the anticipation is that we will meet with certain teams that are comfortable having us at their facility or when they're on the road and meet them at their team hotel. But again, that's not ironclad. That could change within the next week, and then we'll have to be flexible and adjust with it. But as far as uh, the on-site ambiance, what was really missing last year more than anything else the fans, that was, that was the void. And to have that void filled, at least right now, is huge. It changes everything. It changes everything about the event that you're covering. It changes everything about the feeling inside the stadium. I think it changes everything for the players. It was odd. It was very strange last year. Strange for announcers, I can tell you that. We have fake crowd noise. And you'd look around the stadium, there'd be nobody in there yet in your headset, you'd hear cheering. They were basically using a mixture of Madden and NFL films uh, content that they had used through the years where they recorded the crowd at each of these stadiums. Wow. It was bizarre. So knock on wood, it's going to feel a, a little bit normal, more normal, at least this year. Okay, so I, I got to follow up to that. What was the most bizarre moment of non-crowd NFL for you? Or what was the most bizarre moment that you've seen a player have? Like the most, like, because everybody says every question is it's awkward. It's really awkward. What was the most awkward story of um, crowdless NFL? I guess. I mean, for me, it was right out of the gate. I had Cleveland Baltimore week one and I didn't really know what to expect. They had zero fans in Baltimore. And I asked the audio person to give me whatever he was sending out to the audience, which was this sweetened crowd noise. So I didn't know how that would sound. I didn't know how that would feel. Ravens are driving down the field and Lamar Jackson, I can just tell you this from a personal standpoint, and I wasn't even completely aware of it until it happened. But Lamar Jackson is pitching the ball to Mark Ingram. And I'm looking at my broadcast partner, Charles Davis. It was the first game we worked together. And I could tell he wanted eye contact in the point he was trying to make. So I was giving him eye contact. As I turn, I see the pitch from Jackson to Ingram. Ingram fumbles the ball 
but jumps on it. And I cover the play-by-play and I feel really good that I just was a traffic cop and was looking at Charles, but covered the play-by-play. Nobody at home would know. Then they show the replay. And within that short little run that Jackson had, he made two ridiculous moves. One shifting the ball from one arm to the other and also a juke move on a player. I saw none of that. Normally, if there's a crowd, the crowd reacts to those moves. So naturally, my voice will react to the crowd. And even just a small adjustment, even if I just said, oh, Lamar Jackson, that would have been enough for the audience to know something just happened. But I quickly realized there's no crowd. There's no compass. And that was eye-opening for me. Very eye-opening. Talking with Ian Eagle, we want to get you out of here on this last question. You saw the Jets three times, but you also did see the Giants. You've mentioned them here and there throughout our conversation. Talk about Daniel Jones has to get ready for the third year. The offensive line, again, a question mark. Saquon Barkley has to stay healthy. Here's the biggest key to a Giants NFC East title for me. Their defense and can they play as well as they played last year and maybe even possibly get better? What did you see of the Giants defense that struck a chord with you? I think they're going to be fine defensively. They were definitely much better last year. It was just a much more professional unit last season. Playmakers in the secondary, that's a strength. Uh, I do believe they'll generate enough of a pass rush. I don't think they're going to be a dynamic pass rushing team, but I do think they'll be able to create some pressure on the quarterback. I'd say the linebacker position doesn't blow me away with, with the Giants. That's still an area, and you know, you guys are young, but for old school Giant fans, that was the one position they always knew that was covered. They had big time playmakers at linebacker. I don't feel that this year. Not since Antonio Pierce. No, you know, and, and Antonio personified what you look for in a giant linebacker. Uh, With that said, I think they'll be competitive. They're in a division that's very winnable. Philadelphia's down. Washington, I know they hung around last year, and Ryan Fitzpatrick will give them hope. But I don't know if Washington's ready to take the next step. Dallas is the team that you look at. Does Dak just step back in and they're uh, electrifying offensively? I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. So it's there for the taking. If you're a Giant fan, look at your competition in your division. You can be very competitive. What does that mean in the big picture? It doesn't mean a whole lot because there are teams that are clearly better than them in the NFC. To me, the Green Bay Packers are the team to beat right now in the NFC a motivated Aaron Rodgers, maybe the last dance for him. Seattle still to me is a team to be reckoned with offensively. There's some question marks there. Russell Wilson is gifted, but what's the running game going to look like? The defense has lost a lot of playmakers through the years. The Rams, I, I don't know what to make of them. Does Stafford get into this, dynamic with Sean McVay and it just hits and explodes and your minus cam Akers for them now 
Yeah. I mean, that's a big loss for the Rams. That's a huge loss, huge loss. So the NFC is not great. The division the Giants play in is not very good. The opportunity is there. I think they'll be well coached. They lost some close games last year. Yeah. They got to win those games. Like that, that can't even be in the, in the ether as a possibility. Those have to turn into W's this year. They're going to have to manufacture some wins when it's all said and done. We will see what happens with the Giants and the Jets and really the rest of the teams around the NFL. We are just a week away the first NFL game of the regular season will be next Thursday. It'll be Buccaneers and the Cowboys, Dak Prescott against Tom Brady, looking to defend his Super Bowl title. Ian Eagle, television voice for the Brooklyn Nets on the Yes Network for NFL football on CBS. Thank you so much for taking some time here to join us and best of luck for the upcoming NFL season. Yep. Looking forward to it, Jonathan. John, always nice to talk to you. Always uh, great to be downtown with you guys. Always, Definitely. always. See you, bud. Thank you, Ian. See you guys. All right. See you guys. That was, right. <laughs> that was Ian Eagle. And that will do it for this special edition of our Digital Market Battle special here on Downtown Sports. Want to thank Ian Eagle for joining us for this great half-hour piece. Want to thank Crystal Large, our statistician. I want to thank Tony Mainville, our researcher, and Girl Friday, Tanya Williams. As always, all three of them do an incredible job. You can listen to Downtown Sports on 14 different platforms. We're on Anchor, Breaker, Spotify, Radio Public, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Bullhorn, Podbay, Listen Notes, Podcast Addict, and Verbal. Rants, episodes, digital market battle specials every Tuesday, Wednesday. We are Downtown Sports, and we are where sports come home. For the Beast of the East, Jonathan Perriente, I am the Mouth of the South, John Schiavone, saying... We're out. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.